You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dunn. That's right. The Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast is back for another episode. I'm your host, Chad Dundas from ESPN.com. Your other co-host with me, as always, your friend and mine from MMAfighting.com, Ben Folks. Ben, how are you? I'm doing okay. You seem like maybe you're you're not quite as amped for episode 11 as you were for episode 10. Oh no, I'm amped. A little bit of a, a hangover, a letdown, if you will, after, after we get into double digits and then... You get to episode 11, there's just really nothing special about that. No, no, that's there's tons of special stuff happening for today's episode. It will be fun-filled and jam-packed with mixed martial arts action for Look the whole you. family. L- just as long as you're your sad. You're whole a sad family case. likes watching people getting punched and or kicked in the face. Uh, with last weekend being one of the few seemingly of the year without a show from one of the Zufa family of mixed martial arts promotions, you might think that there wouldn't be that much for us to talk about Oh, oh you'd be week, so wrong. But you would, in fact, be so wrong. We have three jam-packed idiot. rounds of action for you today. Uh, round one, we'll discuss the travels of Frank Mir. He's on his way over to Strikeforce to uh, fight Daniel Cormier. In round two, we will discuss the return of Nick Diaz coming back from suspension and respectfully requesting a fight <laughs> with the greatest mixed martial artist of all time. I believe that this was the the round that when you suggested it to me when we were talking about for the show, you you subtitled Nick Diaz colon this fucking guy. It still says that on my notes, even though I didn't <laughs> didn't read it. Uh, in round three, we will talk about the next UFC on Fox show and the possibility that the UFC is just fucking with us. That the winner of <laughs> just seeing what we'll believe, Brandon Vera and Shogun Hua, will get the next uh, light heavyweight title shot. But before that, this week, like every week, we asked you to submit your questions. For our listener mail segment, and you responded with some excellent offerings. Wait, wait. Before we get to listener mail, should yeah. we should we mention that we've come to, to some conclusions about the, the co-main event podcast essay contest? Sure, we can mention that. Come after immediately following listener mail, we're going to announce the winners yes. of the co-main event podcast's first ever contest. It wasn't light- easy. No, it wasn't easy. It was hard. And frankly, we got a lot of entries, which I think we'll discuss when it comes down to uh, announcing the winners. But yeah, that I would say, you know, wait 10 minutes. And that, <laughs> Just that's hold on, up. we haven't forgotten about you people. That is coming up. Uh, our first question this week for listener mail comes from DG. And he asks, he or she, I guess I should say. Yeah, asks, don't make assumptions. Now I'm about to get crazy here, so bear with me. No, that's a dude. That's uh, yeah, a dude. I like that's like kind of a, gives a little R. Kelly vibe to his. Uh, <laughs> Usually I don't do to this. his question. Uh, I'm about to get crazy here, so bear with me. Do you think that maybe, just maybe, Dana White should put the kibosh on the 115-pound craziness and focus on a women's division? He says there's no depth, but let's be realistic. There's not much depth at 125, 135, and even 145. So why not get the women in there? There was strike force, but that's just a bad joke now. And we do have Invicta FC doing good things, so maybe I answered my own question. Uh, it kind of trails off from there. Okay. He says he we loves the, the podcast, but we get the we, we get, get the, the gist yeah. of the question. Yeah. I would say that the answer is an obvious and emphatic yes. That before we go adding, what would you? What do they even call one fifteen pounders? Uh, Atom weight. There, I know that's a that's an actual classification. Paperweight. paperweight. Yeah, sure. Why not? Before they go adding the paperweights down there at one fifteen, I think you know the, the there is enough 
the talent in the women's division at this point to to bring them in and I think that it's pretty clear that it's anymore it's not a lack of talent that is keeping the women out of the UFC it's more I would say political reasons yeah that 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 argument gets weaker and weaker especially if you add the you know 115 and already what we're seeing at you know 125 135 that they're as the as DG here said, not a whole lot of depth in those divisions. I think you look around right now at the at several different women's weight classes, as we saw with Invicta on Saturday night, which I watched. I mean, and as enjoyed, you saw, uh, and you you did not watch uh, because you're a misogynist. No, 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 not true at all. Not true at all. No, I actually didn't. So you you are misogynist, but that's not related to you not watching. That may, that you may, didn't watch it for different. That reasons. may be true, but the truth is, I didn't watch Invicta FC for reasons of gender equality. You're going to have to explain that. Well, you know, when we get a Saturday night off, I'm going to take it, frankly, <laughs> for, you know. And what did you five do? Five and sometimes. What did you do with your big Saturday night five, off? Five and sometimes six days a week I spend all week sitting in front of my computer. So if an independent fight promotion is going to offer me some kind of uh, small show with some fighters that I've heard of some of them and not all of them, and it's going to be on a sort of a shaky internet stream, I'm probably not going to watch that if that's dudes. <laughs> so I didn't watch it on Saturday because it was girls. All right. You see what I'm trying to say? I see what, like, you're, I see see what, what point saying. I'm trying to make? What did you do instead? Well, even if I hadn't spent the entire day in a classroom at the community hospital here at Missoula, Montana, learning about all of the terrible things that are going to happen <laughs> to my wife next month when she expels our first child out of her body, uh, I probably still would not have watched. <laughs> well, Okay. You're right. But I should point out, you sent me a link to the main event, Sarah McVann against Shayna Baszler. Awesome and I fight. watched it, and it was an awesome fight. Yeah, and it was one of several awesome fights on it. I will say, you're right about the shaky internet stream. I don't want to watch a shaky internet stream of anything, you know, uh, any kind of MMA fights. It's just annoying, especially because, you know, and this was not even one of the worst streams I've seen, but... You know, it's one of those things where the action, like the the screen, will freeze for five seconds, then it'll resume, and then it'll jump five seconds into the future, and usually does that at the most inopportune time. But some good fights. There were a hell of a lot of them, which I also would say to Invicta, maybe we don't need fourteen fights on the card. That's just a long time to ask people to sit there with their laptop, hoping that this shit doesn't freeze on them. Uh, but just the quality of competition on that that fight card as a whole that definitely tells me that you could make at least one maybe two different women's divisions in the UFC right now and there's enough talent to go around there i mean you got former olympians running around in there you got plenty of people with with real skills why not let them have a shot i think that the time the time is now for women in in the UFC i agree uh real quick before we move on did you think that uh Shayna Baszler took the shaft a little bit there do you think that cuz i thought I thought if not a draw, I thought she won rounds two and three. Yeah, just I was just hung watching. up on your terminology. That's why I was silent. But yeah. Once again, in, in, in the interest of gender equality. <laughs> Took the shaft is still weird. Uh, yeah, I, I scored it for Shayna Baszler. It was a close fight, though. It was a tough, especially, you know, when one person is doing the better counter punching uh, and the other person seems to be throwing, you know, big heavy flurries and landing takedowns. It's sometimes hard for judges to score it. But I gave it to Shayna Baszler. Close one, though. I, I couldn't be upset. Too much either way. Question number two this week comes from Chris Casement, and he asks, why aren't Russians more prominent slash dominant in MMA? With such a great history of top-level wrestling, why aren't there more Ruskies taking over the sport? 
And then he follows up and ends his question by asking, where are the Russians at? Huh. I think that's a good question. I mean, in Russia. In, yeah, assumedly in Russia and the former Soviet republics. Uh, <laughs> there is M1. M1 is still out there. It still exists. And as far as I know, uh, maybe not all or most, but a healthy portion of their fighters are, in fact, from the former Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. If you had to watch, let's say they're both on TV, no shaky internet streams. Uh-huh, yep. You have a choice. Watch an M1 fight with a bunch of Russian dudes whose names you could not even begin to pronounce, let alone spell. Right. Uh, or Invicta, all-female fight card, that, and you've heard of some of them. Which do you choose? I would watch Invicta. Yes. Okay, go on. Uh, because I think the, the level of competition would be higher there because since there is no uh, dominant showcase uh, federation or organization for women's fighting some of the best women's fighters in the world are going to be in invicta whereas in m1 yes. i don't know if any of the best some of the best fighters, dudes whose names are all consonants right. some of the best fighters from the republic of georgia perhaps <laughs> plus invicta has uh, king mo commentating That's yeah which fun. was good i thought i thought yeah. both he and uh I had julie kedzie is julie kedzie and, and morrow yeah i thought they did a good job they did uh, but, you know, to answer Chris's question, man, I have no idea. And, and to be honest, it does seem weird. It seems like there should be more Russians out there competing at the highest level and, like, uh, you know, threatening for, for championships. And I don't know why there aren't, except to say that maybe, I don't know, do you think at this point that in, in a certain way MMA has become not, maybe not a rich man's game, but like a developed countries, like a first world game? Just because of like the facilities and the huh. you know the coaches who are available here, that would be my. It's just a, I'm just taking a stab at it. You know, then that's not a that's not a bad guess because it is it is different from boxing in that when you think about how many different skill sets you have to learn and where you're likely to find the people who can teach you those things, it's not quite the same thing as just like you know inner city boxing gym rolling in there learning how to how to throw them bungalows. Uh, it, it is kind of a, a different barrier of entry there i don't know though that to me it seems like it's one of those things where there's probably a bunch of different explanations rather than one big one you know maybe uh the russians just gotten interested in different things maybe it depends where you're you're you're, like for instance you see countries a lot of countries where okay yeah they have a bunch of high level wrestlers yeah but i mean if, if unless those high level wrestlers and the people they're around are actually also watching mma and seeing that as like a viable thing to get into once their wrestling careers are over, it's not necessarily given that they're going to make that transition. Sure. Yeah. So, like you see with those Olympic sports, there's plenty of countries where the Olympic sport is the end itself. It's not, you know, a means to some other end. Right. So you're saying that because they don't see it on TV or, or maybe so it, what, that or kind high of, rates of fetal alcohol syndrome. That, <laughs> that actually transitions nicely into our next question because I think it's a pretty good guess that people over in Russia don't get fuel TV. <laughs> and Jeff McIntyre, our third question comes from Jeff McIntyre, who asks, can somebody please tell me in an answer that people fucking understand <laughs> as to why Canadians and perhaps fans elsewhere in this small world do not get any of the UFC on fuel content? It's just utterly ridiculous that this quote-unquote new deal that the UFC scored with fuel does absolutely shit all for Canadian <laughs> viewers aside from just the actual fights. Wow, no he is fight, fired no up. post fight, no weekly shows and then in all caps nothing. Wow. Uh Jeff, I, you you did a good job I think of capturing some of that that anger. Thanks. I have the my computer is closer to my face for this episode so my reading skills I think are a little <laughs> okay. bit better because I'm not squinting and and bending my head over. No, I knew uh, something was different. Yeah, he, here's the thing, Jeff. Um, if you're getting the fights, 
I don't know that you're really missing anything besides uh, what are this the show that they have on Fuel like the the big guy and the bear I think might be one of them <laughs> I don't know yeah the show where like teenagers break their ankles skateboarding or yeah. something. Well, I mean, okay, wait. So he's saying that he is seeing the fights. It seems like, yeah, he says uh, it does absolutely shit all for Canadian viewers aside from just the actual fights. What he wants are like the weekly shows and the pre and post fight shows. I guess so. I mean, look, I'm not going to I'm not going to say that those are those shows are not worth watching or that they're a waste of time or anything. But at the same time, I can't see getting too fired up about not getting to see those shows. Right. I mean. Maybe you get to see, like, or, or maybe I mean, hear. Ariel's on there, and I think he does a hell of a job. He, he all does the do time. a hell of a job. And John Anik does a hell of a job. Yeah. At the same time, it's just, you know, this is a the UFC's shows that they make about themselves, basically. Yeah, if you're watching the Fuel post fight and pre fight, it, it might be entertaining, but you always need to keep in mind that what you're watching is pr- actually produced by the UFC. So. You know, to go back to our question about Russia, you're well, I mean, essentially watching state-controlled Yeah, but you TV. are, for all practical purposes, yeah, it is it is state-run TV. Yeah. Uh, it is the same kind of, you know, TV that where North Korea would tell you about uh, Kim Jong-il getting 11 holes in one the first time he ever played golf. I mean, it's that kind of thing. You you know, they will they will ask some of the, the questions that we want to hear. They, they, they do not do total propaganda bullshit at the same time, though. It's not like we're watching, you know, ESPN covering MMA at the same time. You know, it's right. which you will probably never watch. No, <laughs> uh, I, don't, I saw it, Chuck Mendenhall on MMA Live. Oh, he's on that. TV so, all yeah. the time. Like another guy doing a hell of a job, yeah. I might say. Chuck Mendenhall. Chuck Mendenhall overcoming his his weird looks to oh, get on come TV. Come on now, come on. <laughs> just hey, come on. Chuck, Chuck knows. Chuck knows we're, we're, we're buddies. We can we can joke around like that. More to the point to Jeff McIntyre. Man, I think it's probably only a matter of time before you get all this content because the reason that the, that Fox took all of that UFC programming and stuck it way over there on Fuel was to get people more interested in Fuel and so that they would email our podcast and call their cable companies yes. and be pissed and just that they be didn't, irate didn't get Fuel. As Jeff so McIntyre is. If I had to guess, I would say Fuel is coming to a TV near you soon. Yeah, and that seemed to be the whole gamble here was that uh, throw a bunch of stuff over there, MMA fans will get mad that they're not getting it. The thing that maybe the UFC didn't quite take into account there was who MMA fans would get mad at. Uh, Sometimes (laughs) they're going to get mad at the cable providers. Sometimes it's going to work that way. Uh, A lot of times, though, I don't think they're thinking it through to that level and they're, they're just getting just, mad at the they're UFC. Just mad at the UFC, yeah. Anyway, that's it for listener mail this week. If you have a question for us for next week or future weeks, you can email the podcast by going to our website, comaineventpodcast.com, and clicking the handy link at the top of the page that says email the podcast. All right. Well, now is the time that I assume you have all been waiting for, where after much delay, well, one week, uh, we we've reviewed all of the submissions for the co-main event podcast essay contest we've selected the winners and we're here to announce them but before we do that one note about the submissions they were awesome that's the good news we got a ton of them they were awesome way more than i expected yeah way more than i expected even if you are not among the winners and do not receive a prize uh you have a place in our hearts yeah. at the co-main event podcast because we basically said we're going to take a bunch of our trash that we have in our office and, and send it to you if you win. And a lot of you actually did it and, and frankly wrote a ton of really good essays. Yeah. I don't really recall 
even reading one that I was like, well, this is bad. Yeah. This is a waste of my time. I, yeah. don't, I don't think that happened. I think all of them were, were interesting in their own ways. So anyway, yeah, a lot. Of, that's the good news. The good news is you guys are awesome. The bad news is way, way too many of you entered for us to send you all prizes. <laughs> uh, I know that we, we alluded to, the, to that might be the case, that that might be the case on an earlier episode, but that was before we got just a crush of submissions right up towards the deadline. So, uh, But many of you will be getting prizes. Many of you will be getting prizes, including the people we are about to announce, because we will announce now oh. the winners. Can you feel it? Can you feel the tension? Okay, well... Let's, should we just start at the top with the grand prize winner? No, I think we should do the it the other daddy. way. Like, it's a beauty contest. Okay, like we go all, right. all the way up. You love you some beauty contests. Okay, um, some honorable mentions. Yeah, we have three, three intrepid podcast listeners submitted essays and will receive honorable mentions in the contest. Uh, I assume that that means they will also receive prizes. Um, the first one we should start off. These are in the, the honorable mentions will come in no particular, no particular order. order. They were all good. The first one is James Somerville, whose essay, The Boogeyman This Way Comes, was far and away the most inventive and yeah. the most... Uh, incomprehensible? Most incomprehensible, but also like the most... Like dense. Dense, yeah. Dense is a dense good word for it. Dense subject matter. It, it, it was... It was pretty good. I didn't really totally understand what it yeah. was about. But I felt like he might have understood Yeah, that's what the it thing. About. It seems like maybe, like, you get the idea from reading it that James Somerville is probably just way smarter than we are. Because yeah, I've, and probably in some kind of theoretical physics course at the graduate level uh, or something like that. Basically, the, the argument James Somerville set out to make in the essay, near as I can tell, was that Dean Lister was some kind of Cro-Magnon man, but was also from the future. Yeah, and, and also possessed and, microbial qualities yeah. that allow him that have allowed him to journey back in time to the, what we think of as the present and insert his DNA into asexually, I think was the idea, <laughs> uh, into the DNA of what I think Somerville referred to as somewhat attractive females. <laughs> No, I, I definitely remember that line in there. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. We Maybe it just went over our heads and, yeah. and we could not name it. I mean, it, it was awesome. I enjoyed yeah. the shit out of it. But, but it, it's honorable mention. Hence Mr. Somerville will be mention. getting some, some, some sort of prize from ben, our offices. Why don't you go ahead and announce the next honorable mention? Uh, Marcus Granger uh, in his, I believe the title was The Real Vanderlei Silva is Dead. Yeah. Possibly the best uh, title the be yeah. <laughs> that we got. And one of the more daring theses. Yeah, uh, and I we think. should say that, hey, man, we put out there yeah. one of the uh, requirements, one of the submission requirements for this contest was argue something ridiculous. Yeah, and to Ch the, the choose people, an, an indefensible position and defend it. Uh, the people who took that to heart, I think, scored higher than yes. the people who wrote more what I would consider to be like uh, uh, orthodox ordinary essays yeah and this was one of those uh basically marcus granger argued that Vanderlei silva has been dead for several years now uh and the ufc has put an imposter in his place and you know even make some some timeline correlations between when Vanderlei silva was out with facial surgery came back looking a little weird uh you know all that kind of stuff comes back with a limp walks around with a cane for a little while doesn't quite do as well afterwards but hey uh, again, one of those where maybe I wasn't fully willing to, to sign on 
with the, the thesis of the essay that Van right. Riesel has been dead for a couple years. But I can't tell you that, that he hasn't. Right, yeah, I can't exactly. tell you that this is the, the, really there's only one think. Van Riesel. It really made me think. Yeah, so there, there's an honorable mention. Uh, uh, our final honorable mention, honorable mention for the contest, it comes from Alex Larson for his essay, which was another one with a great title, Pride and Prejudice. Uh, pride in all caps. Yeah, as pride in as pride in fighting, fighting, fighting championships. Seeking to argue that Quentin Rampage Jackson is indeed one of the more underrated, undervalued, and underappreciated fighters in the UFC. Uh, most notable in its inclusion in this essay contest because that's the exact opposite of that is actually true. <laughs> yeah, no, you know what? Here's the thing. When I saw where the, that argument was going, I kind of was like, oh, shit. No way. No way you're going to tell me that uh, Rampage is underappreciated. But, uh, you know, he made some points. Yeah, once he got, once he got to the end, I, I was almost convinced. Yeah, not quite, almost. but almost. If Rampage Jackson hadn't spent most of the last 10 years fighting middleweights, maybe you would have me. But <laughs> All right, now, now for the people who finished in the money, finished on, on the medal stand. That's right. As it were. Uh, third place. We, we haven't decided what third and second place are getting. But it's going to be awesome. They'll get some. It'll, it'll be something awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, third place, Ryan Mahan's essay. What's the title of the essay, Chad? Uh, the title of the essay is Inventing the Front Kick, colon, Has the UFC Jumped the Shark? Yeah. Well, you know, and here's the thing I liked about this. For one thing, it argues that the point at which Steven Seagal claimed to have invented the front kick and taught it to Anderson Silva was the point at which MMA just became a little too ridiculous for its own good. Uh, the, the, uh, terms relating to TV, like the happy days, jumping the shark and the invention of a new character on Mm -hmm. who's the boss. Right. Yeah. Uh, when we got into that kind of stuff, I'm going to call this lovingly research. Yeah. That's what you called it in an email that you sent to me. And I totally agree. It was far and away like the most care and, and pride taken in, in like composing the actual essay. Definitely Mm -hmm. somebody like... Uh, Ryan Mahan cares more about you know TV history than you care about anything probably. It, oh, it was, absolutely! It, it I would say through. he cares almost as much as like Mike Dolce cares about nutrition. Yeah, which is a lot. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, uh, in second place, uh, great job by by Ryan Mahan. Uh, in second place, the runner-up, I guess you would say, in the co-main event mixed martial arts podcast white elephant essay contest goes to joshua heiser for his essay lancer versus camry uh, an essay that basically seeks to argue that the smart fans or as he put it and as we put it on the podcast the well-rounded fight fan Ah. who is the camry driver the driver of the toyota camry actually outnumber what you might think of as the the dumb fan for lack of a better word the the loud uh, obnoxious fan at the Buffalo Wild Wings yeah, that we notice wearing... those fans because they're louder and more obnoxious, but there are not as many of them because the rest of us, you know, just are kind of keep cool about it. Normal guys. Yeah. Normal. Dudes. And I got to say, I feel almost as if Mr. Heiser was, is almost cheating because mm-hmm. it's really hitting us where we live. Yeah. On I, that agree one. That. I agree with uh, that. But also seemed to come from a, from a, a genuine place. Yeah. So, yeah. And you know what? It worked. Yeah. If he and was trying to pander, it worked. Well-written and well-argued. That's um, right. So there we go. So but. Josh Heiser in second place. But at the top. The winner. The winner. The grand prize winner. Grand prize winner. The gentleman who will receive in the mail the Marco Bucci original yeah. painting of Anderson Silva that has been up on the website for a couple weeks. None other. Drum roll. None other 
than Brendan Faherty. Brendan Faherty in his essay, For Whom the M Tolls, <laughs> which is a point-by-point, well-researched breakdown of the so-called Eminem curse in mixed martial arts. Basically that if you use an Eminem song as your walkout, uh, you're going to lose. Yeah. Or if you do win, and he mentions a couple times where people have used the Eminem walkout song, won that one, and then their lives pretty much fell to shit right afterwards. Right. Uh, he, I think he mentions Brendan Schaub. Used an Eminem song when he walked out uh, to fight Mirko Krokop, knocked out Krokop, got knocked out in his next two. Uh, he also, though, and here's where, here's where this went from interesting idea to grand prize winner for me. He points out that you can have Eminem as a featured artist yeah. in your yes. walkout song. And it does not adversely affect your chances uh, as long as he is not the primary artist. You can have him in the Nate Dog role, as I think he, he pointed right, out. Yeah, yeah. Specifically, he uses that term. Yeah, that's when I knew he was going to win. Yeah, so, so just to kind of let you in into our mindset, into our mind brains for why this, this particular essay won, well, essentially because he takes a ludicrous premise that the walkout song that a fighter chooses can affect his or her performance in the cage. Uh, and frankly, through fairly comprehensive research, proved it to be true, <laughs> at least in our minds. Or close enough to true. Close enough to, uh, to, to prove that it is true. And it was well put together. But thanks to everyone who entered the essay contest, I think, you know, this went over pretty well. I, I would say we will probably do contests of some kind in the future. Yeah. We probably, I, I don't know if we're going to want to retrace our exact steps. Because, no, we probably you know, won't we make like you to write new stuff uh, anymore. So, and we, it's, it's not fair. We got to give people who are otherwise talented right. uh, in other areas a, a chance to shine. But anyway, congratulations to everyone who entered. You're, winner, you're all winners in our eyes. And congratulations to uh, uh, the, the honorable mentions and the guys who placed. We're going to get your stuff out in the mail to you. Yeah. If, you, if we announced your name either as a winner or an honorable mention, you might want to shoot us an email and let us know what Chris Lieben t-shirt size yeah, you wear. What is your t-shirt size? Anyway, uh, so there it is. There you have it. Uh, we'll get those that stuff out in the mail as soon as we can. But as for right now, we're just going to go ahead and move on to round number one. Round one. Pretty much ever since the UFC's parent company, Zufa LLC, bought Strikeforce last spring, uh, there has been a, a considerable hue and cry, uh, most notably, well, maybe not most notably, but including from, from yours truly, <laughs> me. Uh, that You love to hue and cry. That uh, the, the UFC, if, they, if it wanted Strikeforce to succeed, needed to send some talent over there to bolster the ranks and give the top stars, guys like Gilbert Melendez and Daniel Cormier, uh, somebody to fight. And finally... That has actually happened with the announcement this past week that uh, recent UFC heavyweight title challenger Frank Mir will travel across the aisle, become the first non-ousted UFC fighter to, uh, to, to reach his hand across the aisle in both friendship and competition <laughs> to strike force and that he'll go over there and take on Daniel Cormier. One uh, night only. One night only. Special engagement. Uh, so I guess, Ben, I would open up the conversation by saying, is this desperation on Frank Mir's part, or is this a situation where this just makes sense for everybody? You know, I actually think it's a situation where it makes sense for everybody. I mean, what has Frank Mir got to lose? That's my question. He, he kind of got a, he got a lucky break by getting into that title fight when he did. 
but clearly we saw that he he's not going to beat Junior Dos Santos. Those guys could fight 20 more times. He's not going to do it much better than he did in that fight. You know, he even had the help of some supplemental testosterone and, and still got beat up by Junior Dos Santos. That's probably going to happen over and over again. So what else is he going to do? He's going to go back, fight some middle-of-the-pack UFC heavyweight, Probably not going to earn another title shot anytime soon, especially not while Junior Dos Santos is still the champion. So, hey, go over there, make some money, fight Daniel Cormier, endear yourself to your bosses. Uh, you know, they're they're going to appreciate somebody willing to, to go over there and do that when right. not a whole lot of other guys would. Yeah. Uh, and even if you lose, you know, you lost to a former Olympic wrestler who just beat up Josh Barnett and who has a ton of momentum. Like, it doesn't knock you down as far as, like, if you took a, you know, a fight against Stefan Struve and lost that. Really, you think so? I, I I would agree with everything else that you say. The last part, I might disagree a little bit. I think if you're Frank Mir, because you love Struve, you're a Struve fan. Well, it's not I'm, your your fan club goes Tim Boach number one, <laughs> Stefan Struve number two. Is that what you're saying? Uh, irregardless of the inclusion <laughs> of Stefan Struve, uh, I think if you're Frank Mir and you go over to Strike Force and you lose to Daniel Cormier, I mean, I think if you go over and you win and you beat Daniel Cormier, that's sort of like automatically rekindles your stock. It yeah. puts you, and maybe not, you're probably not going to get another title shot as long as Junior Dos Santos is the champ, but it puts you back at least in the in the running, back yeah. into like the thick of the pack you're of guys that you would consider to be, like Dana White would say, in the mix or like in the, you know, among the elite of the heavyweight division. If you sort of wear out your welcome in the UFC, which I'm not sure that that's what Frank Mir has done, but it kind of feels that way. Like he's... He seems he's, to have been there forever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you do that, if you uh, if you were the last time I was just looking this up, the last time Frank Mir fought anywhere but the UFC was August 31st, 2001 uh, at IFC 15. He beat Dan Quinn. Huh? Yeah. How about so that? If, if you wear out your welcome in the UFC and, and not to say that's what Frank Mir has done, but it feels that way a little bit. If you go to Strike Force and then lose to Daniel Cormier, I'm not sure exactly where that leaves you. Except to say that I'm sure Frank Mir thinks he's going to win because yeah. he's a professional fighter, you know, and I don't all think professional him... fighters think that they're going to win every fight against a huge gorilla. Well, okay. and first like of if all, you, if you put a professional fighter in the room in the ring with like 15 tigers, they would be like, "Well, how are the tigers' ground skills?" Though <laughs> that would be the first thing they ask you. If you put him in there with a big gorilla, they would be yeah. like, "How's, how's his striking? How, how's can the gorilla's cardio? Yeah, how's his cardio? Maybe I can just outlast." It, has he ever been into the deep waters? <laughs> uh, okay, let's talk for a second. As soon as I heard that matchup, I thought, actually, interesting matchup. That's a good guy to get to go over there. Yeah, better and, than Tim Sylvia. Which you, took you 24 hours to make your peace with, and then they just pulled it right out from under you. Um, also, bad, bad matchup for Frank Mir. Going to be a rough night yeah, for Frank yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it could be. I mean, I think it, more than that, it's a good, another good litmus test for uh, Daniel Cormier coming off the win. True like the pretty dominating win over Josh Barnett, if you wanted to poke holes in it, which I don't really, but I think if you wanted to, you could say that, you know, who has Barnett really fought over the last five, six years? So I don't know. I mean, put Barnett meaningful. in there against Frank Mir and I pick Barnett. Yeah, I, I would think about that. That's but also a, it was just style-wise, I think Cormier's faster. Yeah. Uh, he can he can put you down or keep you from putting him down. You know, where does Frank Mir beat him? I don't think Frank Mir submits him off his back. Uh, you know, I don't think he knocks him out. So... Tough, tough for me to see how Frank Mir wins it. But, you know, kudos to him for going over there and taking that fight and, uh, you know, making something interesting happen. So it's not just a, you know, before we looked at it, we thought, oh, this is just a waste of a fight, an and one tacked on to the end of Daniel Cormier's strike force stay. 
now it's actually interesting. Now we feel like we may learn something about Daniel Cormier in this fight. So, you know, good for them for making that one. I, I have really no complaints there. You you seem to feel like maybe you thought it, there was a, a desperation element to it. Well, on the part of Frank Mir, I would think, because, you know, like I said, the guy's been in the UFC for since 2001. He's been the champ. He's been the interim champ. He's fought, you know, all the top guys with sort of varying success. He's, like him or not, he's one of the best comeback stories in the sport, coming back from the serious motorcycle accident that cost him his first title after he beat Tim Sylvia. Uh, and it just seems to me like if you're Frank Mir, I would understand right now if coming off the loss from Junior Dos Santos and Frank Mir, a, a pretty analytical guy, so who knows how he actually feels. But I would understand if he felt, you know, if he looked at the UFC landscape and and felt to himself, geez, you know, what else? Like, what can I do to get myself back in the running? I don't know, you know, I don't know what I can do to kind of work my way back up to ever be the number one contender again. Yeah, well, and also uh, the this fight, I think it keeps him to where, like, even if he loses, what are you going to do? You're not going to cut Frank Mir after that, you know? You, he, he steps up, he does you a favor. He kind of assures that he's going to be, regardless of what happens, even if his skills fall right off a cliff, he's going to get to hang around and, and collect a few more paychecks here. Uh, and probably pretty decent ones. You know, the UFC appreciates favors uh, in, in that way. I think it's a, in a lot of ways, business-wise, and as far as, you know, if you think you can win any fight positioning himself in the heavyweight division, I think it's a smart move for Frank Mir. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a good move all the way around for everybody. I think, the to me, the most interesting question about the whole thing has to do with Cormier, because I think for a long time, especially after the win over Barnett, we've we've asked... You know what becomes of him when he comes over to the UFC? I think that they've said this is his last fight in Strike Force, yes. right? This is his plus one, and then he goes to the UFC. Uh, w- would he fight immediately for a title when he comes into the UFC heavyweight ranks? I think, but you know, after the Barnett fight, the answer probably would have been no. But if he goes really? out and looks, why you didn't think he looked impressive enough in the Barnett fight to to justify a title shot? No, it's not really a question of how impressive he looked. I just think it would have been a little bit strange considering, you know, what was going on in the heavyweight division to have a guy from Strike Force come in and immediately fight for the title. Like I would I would tend to think that the UFC would give him one fight first. Uh but if you beat the guy who just fought for the UFC title, Frank Mir, uh, a long-standing and and sort of perennial elite member of the division, uh I would think that yeah, if if you look really impressive against him, I think that it kind of changes the changes your prospects a little bit immediately in, in the, that I think you could come in and get put in against Junior Dos Santos or, you know, Alistair Overeem if that's if that's where we're at. I don't know how, if, if, if Cormier beats Frank Mir and doesn't look like absolute shit doing it, uh, which I can't see how he would, I don't see how you don't give him a title shot right away. I mean, I think you could have got, given him a title shot right after the Barnett fight. He wins the Strike Force Heavyweight Grand Prix. Come over there. You got that whole champion versus champion crap that you can sell people. Uh, I mean, I think especially the, the Barnett fight was one that showed us, you know, over, over a longer fight that this guy is for real. It's not just a, a flash in the pan kind of thing. You know, it's not just a, you know, one or two quick finishes and, and everybody gets impressed. I mean, you know, this guy could be the real deal. I think if he goes out there and he beats Frank Mir. What else do you want to see out of him? Are you, yeah. do, you want him do you want him to sprout wings and fly? Is that what you're saying? Would could, that make you happy? If he could do that, that would be awesome. Well, I feel like maybe you're asking a little much of Mr. Cormier. I don't know why you got so mad. I was just saying that, you know, given the UFC's track record, I would think it would be surprising for them to take a guy from another organization and immediately stick him into a title yeah. fight. A guy who has not even grown wings out of his back, flown up 
to the heavens uh, with a, a golden sword in hand. Yeah, what would they be thinking? You know what? I think you're arguing with the wrong guy here. I really do. <laughs> I think maybe your beef is with Joe Silva. But... Well, maybe it's, maybe it's time for us to move on. Maybe that's what this means. <laughs> All right, well, Ben is angry now, so uh, he should be fired up for round two, which is which we're, I guess we're going to get into eh, right now. But first, oh. everyone's favorite, well, not everyone, many people, no, not favorite either, a segment that some of you sometimes enjoy, Master Tweet Theater. And now, Master Tweet Theater. Back with us again after yet another painful hiatus for us all, noted theatricalist, our friend, Sir Nigel Longstock. Sir Nigel, how are you? Hello, sir. I'm back like Jordan wearing the 4-5 and a dance belt, and that's it. Wow. <laughs> I, that, I guess I should have known that you would come in here with some crazy mental imagery to stun and astonish our audience. I just didn't think it was going to be... Michael Jordan, naked from the waist down. Well, if you would stop averting your eyes from my physical imagery, I would not have to speak so often. Okay. Well, uh, with that, I guess we'll just go ahead and get started. For those of you who don't know how this works, Sir Nigel is going to read off a series of five tweets from personalities in the MMA world, not necessarily fighters. Chad and I are going to try to guess who they are and probably fail miserably. Sir Nigel, hit us with the first one. Yes, let us begin. Toy Boat. Toy boat. Jesus Christ, just do it. Chael Sonnen, sports psychologist. <laughs> Tweet the first. Imagine if blowjobs caused global warming. Honey, I shouldn't. The ocean is rising. We'll deal with that later. Please just suck it. <laughs> so... That's how we start this, wow. huh? A dialogue tweet. A dialogue tweet that ends with please just suck it kicks off this edition of Master Tweet Theater. Chad, why don't you go first? Poet Philip Baroni. <laughs> you didn't even need to think about it. It's the only guy I can think of. That would... No, I think it's a red herring. It can't be. It can't be Poet Philip Baroni. You wouldn't throw a Poet Philip Baroni right off the top like that. I'm going to say someone thinking about social issues. Maybe Dan Hardy. Fine guesses, but the poet Philip Baroni does not say please. This is <laughs> Joe Rogan. Oh, oh Rogan. Well, okay, I guess Joe Rogan just giving us all a little food for thought there on global warming and how it might relate to blowjobs if the world were completely different. Uh, Sir Nigel, what's next? <clears throat> please just suck it. Tweet the second. <laughs> Korean volleyball team has no butts. Hashtag 2012 London Olympics. <laughs> okay, well... I don't know if that's meant to be a, a more wide-ranging social commentary than it is, or if it's just you know one man observing the butts of one national team's volleyball uh, players. I'm going to say, you know what this sounds like to me? This sounds like your dude, Chad. This sounds like a Matt Mitrione. Huh. Uh, well, I don't know if I've ever been right guessing Matt Mitrione. I am going to go with... Uh... UFC 125-pound fighter, John Dodson? Huh. Good guesses both, but it is neither John Dodson, nor Mitrione, nor Dong Hyun Kim. It is Joseph Benavidez. Oh. Oh. Well, at least, you know, weight class-wise, you were a lot closer than me. So yeah, that. true, true. Follow Joseph at Jiu-Jitsu. 
I assume that is copyrighted. Tweet the third. They keep talking about stricter gun laws. I think everyone should have one. Fully armed society, everyone, would be a more polite one. Whoa. I think that might be a, a vision for a, a dystopian future. I don't know if that's... I mean, I think everyone should have one. What about the people who don't want one? We're going to go forcing guns into people's hands? I think that's a terrible idea. Also, I think that smacks of extreme right-wing ideology. Therefore, I'm going to say Pat Militich. Oh, God, that is what I was going to say. Uh, I, should, I just want to point out, before I guess... That the only people talking about gun laws are the people who don't want any. <laughs> no one else is talking about them. Uh, anyway, I'm going to go ahead. Since you took Pat Militich, I guess I will guess uh, uh, Lindland. Matt Lindland. Okay. That's the poor man's Pat Militich. Somehow this tweet emanates from neither Militich nor Lindland. It is, in fact, courtesy enthusiast Brandon Vera. Huh? Okay. Well, Brandon Vera did uh, become a a noted gun enthusiast after he uh, and Lloyd Irvin were victims in that home invasion robbery that that nearly killed them. So you can understand why maybe he might want a gun around. I'm just saying, though, I got a gun. I'm not going to take it with me to the movies. So it's still not going to help me out there. Just saying. I can't believe you go to the movies unarmed. <laughs> I didn't say unarmed. I just said without a gun. <laughs> yes. You bring the guns. Uh, tweet the fourth. Not taking anything away from at Chris Weidman UFC, but at Spider Anderson has more title defenses in the UFC than he has fights in his career. Uh, I guess we need a point of clarification on the rules of Master Tweet Theater. If I know for a fact who this is, do I just get to say? Yeah, I guess you do. That's Ed Soros. It is Ed Soros. Yeah, I, that one was that one was in the news, that as they was, as yeah. they say. Uh, however, I love Ed Soros' use of the whole not taking away, you know, the whole no disrespect. I'm about to disrespect you kind of setup. That is a pretty sweet move there. It is true. <clears throat> Tweet the fifth. I'm about to blow your mind. What if they made a site called? Wait for it. Porndora. Think about it. I have thought about it, and I also thought, gotta be Paul Philip Baroni. Got to. Well, I went Philip Baroni earlier. You went Matt Mitrione. We were both wrong. I am going to go Matt Mitrione here. <laughs> I'm not sure how this is possible, but that was Eve's Edwards. <laughs> well, okay. I think Eve Edwards just gave us all a... Uh... Of can't miss business idea and just offered it up to the world on Twitter for free. I, I don't. I think he's going to be kicking himself for that later. But uh, damn it, no poet Bill Baroni on this one. Not a single one. Well, I hope he's okay. Anybody heard from him lately? Well, that really flew by. Uh, anyway, I apologize to Sir Nigel earlier when I tried to go straight into round two uh, while preempting Master Suite Theater. I'm glad he was able to show up this week. Sir Nigel, anything going on this week in your life that you want to tell us about? Well, yes, I am shooting my own remake of Total Recall, entitled Partial Recall. <laughs> I play the role of the girl with three boobs and also the hero. I, are you sure you got the budget for that? Oh, yes. Partial Recall is an extremely short film. <laughs> well, I look forward to seeing your three boobs on film uh, when they show it up against the bedsheet hanging off uh, somebody's apartment window. That was Master Tweet Theater, everyone. Now, on to round two. Round two. 
have to admit that given that the entire lifespan of the co-main event podcast so far has occurred in the absence of Nick Diaz in the mixed martial arts scene, I am particularly excited about round two today <laughs> because on Friday, this you know, over the weekend, Nick Diaz's manager, Cesar Gracie, published a written statement, which I would characterize as part press release, part personal essay, <laughs> uh, in which he... Part an- horoscope, even? Who knows? He announced, unsurprisingly, that Nick Diaz will, in fact, return to MMA uh, as soon as they get this nastiness with the Nevada State Athletic Commission sorted out, which Cesar Gracie seems to think will happen any day now yeah. after they win their court case. Just waiting for the word. that against, they, After they have brought the entire system down, he'll be clear. Here's the best part, though. Not only is Diaz returning to mixed martial arts action, not only will he do so coming off a loss, not only will he do so coming off a suspension, his second career suspension for marijuana use, not only will he do so coming out of retirement, and not only will he do so... There was one more. What's what's the other thing? I don't know. Right? I felt like you're really building a two crescendo here. Anyway, it kind of ruins it. Despite all of these factors, you would think playing against him, Diaz respectfully asked respectfully. to have his comeback fight be against the greatest <laughs> mixed martial arts fighter of all time, Mr. Anderson Silva. Ben, is your mind as thoroughly blown by this as mine is? And how awesome is it that Nick Diaz is back? First of all, he's not back. He still can't fight, so let's let's calm down there. Um, also, respectfully asks for an opportunity that he has not in any way earned uh, or one that would not really make a whole lot of sense for anybody. But still, that's how you know that this is some Nick Diaz shit or at least some Caesar Gracie shit, some, some Nick Diaz camp shit is because it's just fucking crazy and yet awesome. Yes. <laughs> oh, I thought of the fourth thing. The fourth thing was going to be uh, the last time they gave him a title shot, they had to take it away from him <laughs> yes. because he didn't show up to the press conferences. So that's the one and more thing that while he attempted the one thing he attempted to do to to do some kind of martial arts related competition right. during his suspension was that jujitsu match that he did not show yeah, up. Yeah, He for. no showed that. But now that he's back, uh, he's expects, Book it. well, no, he doesn't Diaz expect. Silva doesn't expect but he respectfully asks to be put into a fight with anderson silva uh caesar gracie as part of his statement said that he will meet with dana white next monday uh to discuss quote unquote this and other issues yeah. <laughs> uh, what ben, other issues do you think man what are the odds that dana white's response to this request from nick diaz and caesar gracie is to just laugh his ass off <laughs> i think I think he's in no mood for this kind of shenanigans right now. I think he is not in a place where he can find it as as entertaining as you and I do. Here's the thing, though. What are you thinking right now if you're Mayhem Miller, who tried for so long to get a fight with Nick Diaz, um, but who insisted that he would not go up and wait to fight Mayhem Miller, um, but will go up and wait you know, to fight Anderson Silva just fucking out of the blue like this? Well, yeah, not only what are you thinking if you're Mayhem Miller, but like if you're Nick Diaz, clearly you missed out on a huge opportunity to go up to 185. And I think we all can say at this kind of, at this point, kind of whip Mayhem's ass as it, 
as it turned out from his two performances yeah. in the Octagon. It's just, to me, the thing is, like, what do, what are they really hoping? I cannot, I can't sit here and think that they were like, okay, here's what we want. We want to fight with Anderson Silva. We'll just respectfully ask for it. Boom. Problem solved. We'll be back in the I, I don't think that that's what they thought. I think they're just like, okay, you know, Nick wants to fight again. He, he Everyone kind of knew that he wasn't really going to retire, that, that people kind of saw through that one. But we can't just go on the website and be like, hey, guess what, everybody? That thing you all suspected about Nick Diaz is totally true. Anywho. No, that's see, that's like, what anybody else would have done. No, and that's you why can't, Nick Diaz no. I think they so knew, awesome. I think they knew that they, they needed to add some other little extra taste to that to get him back into the news, to get people talking about oh, him again. Oh, so you think this was a calculated move on the part of the scrap pack? I do. I do. I think that they knew there's no way – you're going to get Anderson Silva, but you know, this is a way that then, Hey, you know, if your consolation prize is rematch with Carlos Condit or, or some shit like that, then you'll take that. Wow. I cannot believe wow. that they really thought, okay, we're going to, we'll just, Hey, what if we ask really respectfully? They can't say no. Like there's no way <laughs> you are giving way more credence to the strategisms of this particular, of this that could particular be. group of dudes. That I would have thought, see, I, I read it and thought, Clearly, everybody in that camp thinks that Nick Diaz got robbed when he lost to Carlos Condit. They believe that to be fact. They know that he's not going to get to fight George St. Pierre immediately when he comes back. So they thought, oh, well, we'll just ask for Anderson Silva, you know, because that's the <laughs> other fight that makes sense. And if for, we can't get that, for our guy. fuck it, John Jones. We'll go ahead and we'll ask for John Jones if we can't get Anderson, if Anderson Silva's busy. Okay, here's the other thing that I wanted to say about this. I think we are in agreement that. Anderson Silva versus Nick Diaz is just a flatly ridiculous idea, correct? Yes. Are we also in agreement that it would be awesome? <laughs> I mean, I fear what we do to this sport if we're just like, well, this is a terrible idea that would be awesome. Let's do that. You know, I kind of, I kind of worry about that. Here's the thing: we mentioned it in Master Tweet Theater. Ed Soros saying that you know his whole you know, not taking anything away from Chris Weidman. He just doesn't deserve to fight for the title uh, because he doesn't have enough fights, that kind of thing. That, I think, if, if anything, Nick Diaz is coming along at the exact right time to be yes, uh, absolutely. getting in Anderson Silva's face. Because Anderson Silva should fight Chris Weidman. More importantly, he and his camp should not be out there talking about who they think deserves the next shot at the title. I, you're the champion. The UFC is going to figure out who they think is the title holder. Have an opinion if you want, but don't get out there and say that, you know, you don't think this guy has earned a shot, especially after what he did to Mark Munoz. I don't think anybody could argue too hard if you gave that, that shot to Chris Weidman right now. I think it's a, it's a mistake on Anderson Silva's camp's part uh, to be seen as, you know, trying to, to pick themselves an easier fight. I agree, but I also want to reiterate that is it possible that making a fight between Anderson Silva and Nick Diaz alleviates many of the UFC's current matchmaking problems. Because if you give Nick Diaz, as crazy as it is, if you give Nick Diaz a fight with Anderson Silva, I think it goes without saying that that fight sells better than Anderson Silva versus Chris Weidman. I think it even sells better than Anderson Silva versus Rashad Evans. Because 400,000 people tuned in to buy the pay-per-view to watch 
Nick Diaz fight Carlos Condit for an interim title. And this dude's fan base is loyal, bordering on rabid. <laughs> and I don't. And and beyond that, I don't even know if there's a mixed martial arts fan that wouldn't. You know, as much as we bellyache about it, I think we would pay to watch that. And while Anderson Silva fights Nick Diaz, you give Chris Weidman the chance to have another fight. Maybe he fights Rashad Evans, and if he wins, then I think you know, then the case against him is is non-existent. And you give uh, GSP and Carlos Condit the chance to sort of settle all their business, maybe even have another fight in addition to that where, you know, whoever is the number one contender at welterweight fights, and then Diaz can come back in and fight that guy for the title. I don't know, something like that. Is there, I mean, is there a line of reasoning that makes this make sense? No. No, there's not. That's the problem with it. I mean, crushing my dream right now. (laughs) You you want to see it because you think it'd be awesome and you think it'd be fun, uh, which it would. I don't disagree with any of that. The problem is that there is no line of reasoning for it. It would be like if Brock Lesnar came back and was like, okay, I'm back. And I respectfully ask that John Jones come (laughs) up to heavyweight and fight me. And we would be sitting here being like, okay, that is, that makes no sense at all, Brock, but it would be kind of awesome. A part of me would like to see it. It would do crazy pay-per-view numbers. Does that by itself justify doing it, even though we all know that it, it just, there's no way to logically justify it. I say no. Well, this is still, no, you, yeah, and you're agree. the you... motherfucker that sat here in that very same chair last week and argued that the sport is sacred and that we don't need to be so worried about entertainment and all this stuff. You know, and now you're going to come over here and just say, because you think it'd be awesome, you want to see Nick Diaz and Anderson Silva. Yeah, okay. Maybe you caught me in a, in a double standard. Yes. There. Caught me in, a, in a, a logical fallacy. But it would still be so awesome. <laughs> it would be awesome. All right. Well, one thing, though. I don't, you know, I don't know if Nick Diaz goes to 185 and gets an immediate title shot, because even if you are interested in how much Anderson Silva against Nick Diaz would sell, I think we all know there's a better fight for him at 185 that would sell even better. I think you know who I'm talking about. Planet Diaz versus Planet Chael. What do you think? 185. Just imagine the lead up to that bad yeah, boy. No, that would be pretty great. Here, the thing for me is I just it's so hard if I'm the UFC for me to even believe that that Nick Diaz will will show yeah, up anywhere you ask him to. Yeah, you just you've been through so much of that stuff before. Like I would want to be baby stepping it right now if I were the UFC like all right, let's put him on a main card bout on a pay-per-view, not the main event. And let's see if he can show up and do the shit he's supposed to do uh, and get through it without testing positive for weed afterwards, uh, without getting himself suspended, and just just prove that he can do the baseline shit expected of a professional athlete in the UFC. Then we'll talk title shots and what's next. Obviously, it's like everybody wants to see Nick Diaz succeed except for Nick Diaz. We all want to see this guy in these big fights. He's a great fighter, an interesting person. He just has to get out of his own way a little bit. Not even a whole lot. He can still be way more of a fuck-up than 90% of the UFC and be fine. You know, It's just a couple little things that he's got to be able to do, and then maybe some of the rest of the stuff would fall into place for him. It's just a question, can he do those things? We haven't seen it yet. So to recap round two... Ben is a stodgy fuddy-duddy who doesn't want to see Anderson Silva versus Nick Diaz. I am a little bit more fly by the seat of my pants. Uh, I'm all for the blood sport. Bring it on. Book it. I'll pay to watch it. Uh, Co-main event on that one, Randy Couture versus BJ Penn. Yes. I'm all for it. (laughs) 
so that about wraps up the conversation in round number two. Before we segue into round number three, it's time for another of the podcast's reoccurring features. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you me? fucking kidding me? Uh, pretty self-explanatory. Ben, do you have one? Do you want to go first? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I want to go. Many of you have probably recently seen Ronda Rousey getting herself in the the mainstream media, what Chad refers to as the lamestream media. That's not what I said. <laughs> uh, with her, her taunts of Kim Kardashian, her talk of how she would like to beat up Kim Kardashian, apparently ostensibly for being a poor role model. Um, this, of course, coming from the person who is talking about how she wants to, to, to beat up someone she's never met in public uh, and also just appeared tastefully nude uh, in ESPN the magazine. Um, I'm not saying that it's necessarily the same thing what Ronda Rousey did for ESPN the magazine and what Kim Kardashian did with a sex tape that made her famous for being famous. However, Ronda Rousey's insistence on seizing on this point and this made-up celebrity rivalry uh, to try and generate some fame for herself via trash-talking Kim Kardashian and, to a lesser extent, Michael Phelps, kind of seems beneath the, the station of a, a strike force women's champion and, and former uh, Olympian for the United States. Ronda Rousey, you fucking kidding me? Let it go with this Kim Kardashian shit, all right? You're, you're a professional fighter. Let's, let's focus on that. I'm going to go with mine. I will also mel- mention uh, Michael Phelps, oddly enough. Huh. Uh, my Are You Fucking Kidding Me This Week goes out to NBC. Dude, it's 2012. And when Major League Olympic events are going down at 2 and 3 o'clock in the afternoon in America, you're not going to show those live. You're going to put those on tape delay and show them later on, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night. NBC, are you fucking kidding me, dude? Are you fucking kidding me? Anyway, that's round two. We'll be back with round number three in just a second. Three. This Saturday night on the Big Fox Network, Brandon Vera and Mauricio Shogun Hua square off in the main event for Chad what we are told will be a number one contender bout. That is to say, the winner of Brandon Vera versus Shogun Hua will fight for the UFC light heavyweight title. First of all, do you believe it? Wait, well, uh, forgive me. I was looking at the clock. I could have sworn that you just said that the winner <laughs> of Brandon Vera versus Shogun Hua fights next for the light heavyweight title. That's what I said. Brandon Vera, who has won one fight in his last four attempts, and that fight that he did win was a pretty narrow decision over Elliot Marshall, who nearly snapped his arm in half, uh, and then was himself cut for losing that fight. Now Brandon Vera, one win away from a title shot. Yeah, there's no possible way that's true. <laughs> Except unless unless two things are true. Number one, our discussion from last week where we said, what's the weakest division in the UFC? And you said light heavyweight, and I said you were wrong. You were right. <laughs> if this is true, you were right. The other thing that, that could potentially be happening here, the only way this could be true is if the UFC already knows that if John Jones beats Dan Henderson at, at UFC 150, is that when they're fighting? Uh, I believe it's 151, 152, Whenever like they're that. fighting. September. Then, you know, it, if he beats Dan Henderson when they fight this fall, 
they that the UFC already knows that John Jones has something else that he's going to do, whether that be go fight Anderson Silva in a super fight or whether it be move up to heavyweight uh, to take on guys there, because otherwise there's no reasonable explanation why John Jones will be put in the, this position to fight one of these two guys who he's both thrashed and defeated yeah. soundly in the past. Not while guys like Alexander Gustafson are, not, are walking around. True. Not even while guys while, like Phil Davis are walking around. Here, I'm going to, I'm going to propose to you a couple different scenarios you tell me which is the more likely explanation for dana white's announcement that this will be a number one contender fight he's just fucking with us <laughs> is that going to be one of them okay that can be like one b okay uh one a however will be that the ufc is hoping that maybe you know shogun wins his fight and then if dan henderson pulls off the upset then you get to rematch those two in that you know that great fight all over again. This time with the title on the line. And if that doesn't happen, then they figure, or you know, if Shogun wins and Dan Henderson loses, or you know, Vera wins and and Jones wins, you know, if any other scenario plays out, then the UFC is like, well, screw it, we can just name somebody else the the number one contender later on. Or you know, one okay. B, okay, they're just fucking with that's us. That's number one. Uh, two, the UFC is just is thinking so short sighted here that they thought. Well, we got to say something to get people interested in this Fox fight. Mm. No intention of doing it no matter what happens. Or we haven't even thought about what we're going to do uh, because we still haven't seen how these fights are going to play out. We can always make an excuse later on for why we're not doing it, the, the original plan. But we got to say something to get people to care about this fight, to make it seem like we're not just throwing up, you know, bullshit fights that, that people don't care about on Fox and saving our good stuff for pay-per-view. we got to make it seem like we're giving them some really good stuff. Therefore, we'll say number one contender bout. Otherwise, the main event of a network TV thing, well, that's not important enough to put a, a serious fight in there. What do you think is more likely? I am going to say the second one is actually more likely because I think that you have already made a matchmaking and future planning mistake if you are trying to plan down the road for Dan Henderson's career. Uh, right. If Dan Henderson, you know, win, lose, or draw against John Jones, I wouldn't be surprised to see the guy walk away because if he pulls the huge upside, upset and, and wins the light heavyweight title, sort of just solidified yourself as one of the great, well, he's already one of the greatest of all time, but if he goes and knocks out John Jones, eh, no way, no way. Hard to top that. No way he walks away at are that you, point. Are you telling me that once again I'm thinking like a human being yes. and not like a professional mixed martial yeah. arts fighter? No. That, that is probably the case. You're probably right about that. But I still, like, if you're the UFC, you can't be thinking like, okay, well, after this fight for Dan Henderson, we're going to do this other fight for Dan Henderson. Dude is already 40 years old, man. True, true. Yeah, I mean, that it is hard to believe that they're – and for John Jones, too, who, you know, might want to go up to heavyweight. He's getting older, might be getting bigger. There's a lot of X factors in here that make it so that if you are trying to plan, you know, six to nine months in the future for either one of those guys, uh, if you're if you that if you are seriously intending on those plans, then you're asking for trouble. Uh, even still, even in a UFC light heavyweight division where John Jones and Dan Henderson do not exist. I'm not sure Shogun who or, or Brandon Vera could be number one contenders no, man, or no. be That's still, in no. a title fight. Without, take out John Jones, Dan Henderson. I think we all know it's Vera Hua slugging it out for number one. They're number one and two. <laughs> it's just a matter of who's, who's where. Okay, here's the thing, though. You know, 
obviously Shogun has had a great career, right? I mean, oh, we yeah, don't, yeah, yeah. There, there's no doubt about that. When I was reading Dana White's attempt at going all salesman on us and convincing us that this is a fight that makes sense to determine the top contender, here's his argument. Shogun Hua just came off a fight of the year last year. He's probably one of the best fighters of the last decade. Think about it. This guy knocked out Rampage, knocked out Chuck Liddell, knocked out Mark Coleman, knocked out Leota Machida, knocked out Forrest Griffin, knocked out Alistair Overeem twice, submitted Kevin Randleman, a win over Vera puts him right back in position, and then he's probably the number two guy in the world. Wait, wait. That's Dana White. Go back. What was what was the last one? <laughs> the last in that list of wins? Yeah, what was the last thing? That would be his submission win over Kevin Randleman in 2006, I believe it was. Huh. No. Yeah, anytime you bring Kevin Randleman, <laughs> yes. a win over Ken Kevin Randleman into the conversation, you're just broadcasting the fact that before you started this conversation, you went on Wikipedia <laughs> or SureDog and looked up this guy's career and like jotted down a few of his yeah. wins. No, see, that's, that's what I wrote in my column on this was that Kevin Randleman is the point at which it's like when you are, make, you are arguing with someone and in the heat of the moment, you come up, you start like listing off things. And you, you list two things, and you realize you kind of need a third in order for it to sound like an honest-to-goodness list. So you just come up with some bullshit, and you hope by that point that either they're not really listening anymore, or you can just say it forcefully enough <laughs> that it will sound legit. Because, yeah, don't... Like, imagine some poor soul who went to Dana White trying to make the case for some other fighter who's not in the UFC, or somebody who he thought was particularly great, and he was like, but he submitted Kevin Randleman six years ago. You imagine the tirade of just condescension and profanity Dana White would unleash on that person for trying to use that as justification. Plus, I mean, you can do that with several of the fights on that list. Knocked out Mark Coleman. I mean, they kind of wheezed on each other for a while until Coleman finally fell down. By the way, Coleman was 44 years old at that point. Uh, you know, knocked out Machida after losing a decision to him. Uh, knocked out Forrest Griffin, who, you know... His only win over someone who's not Tito Ortiz in the last few years has come over Rich Franklin. I mean, the thing is, you're arguing as if trying to tell us, as if trying to make an argument about Shogun Hua's legacy, which is not what this argument is about. No one is disputing that, that Shogun Hua belongs up there with the greats, you know, career legacy-wise. However, that doesn't mean that anybody has been thinking to themselves, I wonder what he'd do if he got another shot at John Jones. I bet he'd really make the most of this. I mean, the problem is we saw what happened the first time. Jones beat the shit out of him. It seems like he would probably only beat the shit out of him worse now that, you know, Shogun's a little older and Jones is a little more experienced. That It's just hard to get anybody excited about that fight when the first one went that way. It's not that we think that Shogun Hua has not done enough, you know, over the last 10 years. Is that we just don't think he can beat John Jones, and beating Brandon Vera won't prove otherwise. That's the problem. Yeah, I think that we are in agreement here that they are either just fucking with us. The fix is in that Jones is going to do something else if he beats Dan Henderson, or they're just trying to sell this pay per view. Anyway, uh, let's close out the show with a, a segment, a recurring segment that we do here on the CME that I feel like is very much in keeping with the spirit of this round because. I think we both think that Dana White is just saying stuff. <laughs> he is just saying stuff. And so we'll wrap up the show with just saying stuff, the part of the show where Ben and I both make a statement that we are then not allowed, not asked to follow up on or support or defend in any way because we are uh, just saying stuff. Ben, do you, do you want to go first? I want you to go first. Okay. Uh, 
I am just saying that nobody wins a battle of wits between Steven Seagal and Nam Fan. <laughs> just saying. Well, that was short, succinct. I, I like that one. I'm just saying, after sitting home and watching Invicta on Saturday night, female fighters, maybe the time for cornrows has passed. Wow. Maybe, I'm just saying, maybe it's time we think about some other hairstyles that will work in the cage. I, I mean, I watch all these Olympic sports where, where women with long hair compete. They seem to find a way to do it without going all coolio on us. Uh, and, you know, having like this mid-90s cornrow style which just really doesn't look good on anybody. I'm just saying, let's leave the cornrows in the past. Let's move on into the future of women's MMA. Well, that is a just saying stuff that is going to affect a wide ranging percentage of female fighters. And also Uriah Faber. I, I assume that the many, many professional female MMA fighters who listen to the podcast are, are going to be left with some, some soul searching to do after this episode. Anyway, that's the show for this week. We will be back next week to wrap up this UFC on Fox Madness, tell you what happened after the fight, whether or not the UFC is really sticking to their guns that one of these two dudes is going to fight for the light heavyweight championship. No for way. now, though, I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks, and we are out. I think there's a better chance of you fighting for the light heavyweight title. I'm just waiting for the call. I keep my phone on keep myself in good shape. Yeah, I see that. I stay ready so I don't got to get ready. I see that. You know what I mean? You never know when they're going to call. Yeah, no. You never you, know. You, you look like you're, you could be ready to go tomorrow. 